This is the Right Way Podcast. Right Way Podcast. The 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 Right Way Podcast. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me on another episode of the Right Way Podcast program with me, your host, Samuel Elliott. Today I have two very special uh, guests. Uh, first two guests I've ever had simultaneously appearing on the program at the same time. Uh, in keeping with a similar vein to speaking to Kea Roach-Turner regarding his Wormwood Apocalypse, these two guests are also of the filmmaker Ilk. It's two co-directors uh, of the documentary in which we discussed today, A Fire Inside, Justin Crook and Luke Mazzaferro. Justin Crook and Luke Mazzaferro have collaborated on other works before, including Machine, which was uh, delving into AI. Uh, but the documentary in which I talked to Justin Crook and Luke Mazzaferro about is their latest, which is just going to set to appear at the upcoming Sydney Film Festival, which is A Fire Inside. A Fire Inside uh, is centred around the uh, unprecedented bushfires of 2019-2020 that decimated a large uh, slab of Australian, Australian uh, Australia, really, uh, that was so much so that the smoke itself was visible from out of space, as well as rolling into other countries like I think Chile was a recipient of some of the uh, smoke from the Australian bushfires. So A Fire Inside uh, focuses on the everyday Australians that are the real life, yeah, everyday Australians that were the volunteer firefighters that went out uh, risking their own lives to go and kind of bring people out of these hellish scapes as well as try and save properties, oftentimes losing their own properties in the process of going and helping others. So that real sort of um, selfless heroism that's kind of pervasive within Australian small town communities, and I'd like to think on a larger scale, but what do I know? Um, not only that, not only does it feature this sort of... Um, the actual events that took place in the 2019-2020 sort of horrific, unprecedented bushfires, but it also kind of centres around communities in Australia sort of rallying together in the aftermath of this uh, unprecedented bushfires, showing the sort of altruism and general kind of selfless kindness that uh, was seen throughout on such a grand scale of people doing everything they possibly could to sort of help uh, members of these affected sort of communities and also, it kind of delves into, like, lastingly, the sort of mental health impacts and the PTSD in which many of these community members, not just the volunteer firefighters, but all those within the communities that are impacted sort of felt, and how there's sort of a, been a changing of attitudes within the Australian sort of scape, as hopefully the world too, where it's okay to not be okay, and that sort of discourse as well. So there's a lot going on within this um, documentary that's made by Justin Justin and Luke. So I want you all to give a big digital round of applause to two filmmakers, co-directors of the film in which we were discussing, Justin Crook and Luke Mazzaferro, talking with me today about their latest feature documentary to appear at the Sydney Film Festival, A Fire Inside. Luke and Justin, thank you so much for joining me on the Right Way podcast program. How are you guys going today? Good. Thanks for having us. Doing good, man. Yeah, excited to be here. Excellent. Look, first and foremost, I wanted to start with finding out how you guys came about uh, the project that is a fire inside. How did you first enter into doing that sort of project? Um, we, uh, I'll give you the, the sort of longer version. We were um, first, Justin and I were um, at the time in Sydney mm -hmm. together uh, promoting our previous feature doc machine, which is about artificial intelligence. And um, 
we then went on this national um, press tour for that, doing Q&As around the country. And so we're flying around the country. And at that time, um, it was early December, so the bushfires were raging and we were seeing uh, it from up high and it was horrific looking. And at the time, we sort of didn't even really think about, like, the realities of what it would like be like down below. I think we were just kind of shocked by the scale we were seeing from up high. Um, but soon after, a few weeks later, um, actually it was about a month and a half later, I think, uh, a filmmaker friend of ours, um, Andy Flakler, who is a longtime RFS member, he was giving a talk about his experiences on the front line. And, um, and that was kind of the first little spark of like, okay, this is a story that felt like hadn't really been told so much. We'd, we'd heard so much about the unprecedented scale and, you know, there's a lot of talk about the, the politics behind it. And, um, but hearing sort of his visceral recounts of what it was like day after day, week after week, um, that's when the first sort of conversation started like, oh, maybe there's a story here in um, shining a light on who are these people that actually uh, leave their day jobs, you know, leave their families, um, which in this case of the Black Summer Fires ended up being far longer than these volunteers had ever had to do in one go. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what, and, I, and I've spent a handful of years over in Australia, but um, first few years that I was there, I didn't even realize that 90% of the firefighting was done by volunteers. It's just not something that I, I even realized until um, Black Summer fires hit. Um, we thought, you know, what an incredible story. And we started talking to some of these people and we're just blown away by how selfless were they were. Um, they really <laughs> made me feel like an <laughs> insufficient, like I, I haven't been doing enough to help and I'm hoping that sharing all these stories kind of, uh, is, is our contribution, but um, we were really blown away by the selflessness. And then when we dug a little deeper, um, really taken aback by how much uh, mental health issues are uh, present in the communities uh, post fires. So yeah, I was actually quite naive. I remember saying to Justin, cause he was super surprised. And I was like, actually, yeah, even growing up in Australia, but I grew up in the burps. Like mm. I hadn't, I didn't really have much to do at all actually with the RFS or didn't even know anyone who was a member of the RFS. So even the concept to me that um, over 90% of Australia's firefighters were volunteers kind of blew my mind as well. So I think it's definitely um, an eye opener for a lot of Aussie audiences as well. It's sort of not just a foregone conclusion that it's just like, yeah, this is just how it is here, which it is for many, of, of course, but I think there's definitely something in it for, for everyone. So from, from the outset, it was always going to be these sort of personalised stories rather than sort of a much wider spread of the potential climate change or the, the fires ravaging from that sort of impersonal scale. You guys always wanted to kind of narrow it into these narratives that you've kind of compiled like that. Yeah, I mean, we had a discussion um, at the beginning. I think the mm. elephant in the room was climate change, right? I mean, mm. worst bushfire season ever recorded on the planet, um, at least as far as we know. And um, I don't know. We just felt that, you know, if you're not on the climate change bandwagon at this point, like, can't help you. Like, mm. it's, you know, I'm not thinking, I don't think we wanted to, there's been so much done in the space. Um, and I think a lot of good films made in the space, and it's a very important subject. But we felt the more compelling angle was looking at these like intimate narratives and, you know, rather than 
scaring the shit out of people, you know, maybe giving them a little bit of inspiration or making them think about what can they do to help in their community or how can they help, you know, a little bit of positivity. And we made the whole thing during the pandemic as well. So just felt like, you know, while it is apparently a story, there's a lot of positivity that came out of it. And that positivity is that all these incredible people we met were just like your average people. They're just your neighbors. And everyone in that film made like an incredible difference in their communities. So they actually changed lives. So we thought, okay, there's a, there's a bit of positivity and inspiration in that rather than scaring the pants off everybody about climate change, which is terrifying. But mm. Luke, did you want to add something to that or? Um, no, that kind of says it. Yeah. Like I think, you know, there was this question that we asked very early on, mm. uh, you know, from that initial sort of seed idea that came from um, hearing Andy Flakler and talking to him a lot about it. it was just like, why do these people do what they do? Mm. Um, and we felt that there hadn't really been that deep dive into that. Um, you know, walk as Justin would say, walking a mile in in these people's shoes, and sort of, and you know, when you are then just dealing with a feature and the the um, the construct of the you know, hour and a half feature, we kind of had to just we felt it was strongest to pick a pretty strong through line. And um, although we do touch on the climate science angle um, and and sort of land management, uh, the the story really is pretty well focused on these personal stories and motivations. And there was also the uh, potential political angle that you could pursue. And we tried to steer clear of that. We just felt like it had been done in the news um, to death. And rather than pointing fingers, uh, we wanted to point, you know, eyeballs at some like inspirational stories rather than. Yeah. Well, and I guess it was just it, also that like, um, just keeping the focus on these people. Mm. These people who are just actually the, you know, the average Joes and inverted commas who are actually out there doing the, the, the hard work, the grunt work and, and exploring why they do it despite the politics, despite, you know, all the other factors. Because um, a lot of these people are still doing it to this day. Um, yeah. What was your takeaway from, I felt that um, with the cross-section of people that, you, that you've obviously crafted here with these sort of personal stories, I mean, they come from all ages, creeds, ethnicities, colours and terms of it. It's just that the greatest unifier seems to be this, this sort of umbrella they fall under, which is everyday Australians. But it just seems to be this um, more than just, I can't just say desire or compulsion, but it's this sense of obligation to kind of do what is perceived as the right thing to protect fellow neighbours as well as the community at large. What's your takeaway from that and how did you try to explore that? Yeah, when we first, you know, started talking, a lot of the characters come from smaller, more rural um, communities. And at at the beginning, um, we thought, oh, maybe this is just the way people are in smaller. I grew up in a small town, um, you know, and there's this cliche that, you know, people take care of each other and their neighbours in more rural areas. But I think that, I think it's more universal than that, to be honest. Um, if you like really zoom out, you look at what happened in say 9-11, you know, that took place in a major urban area. People ran into the buildings without thinking twice. Um, just the selflessness scene, scene there was incredible. And then we started talking to all these people in these um, rural communities after the fires and they went on. Everyone had like a story about, people that came up from Melbourne or came down from Sydney with crates of water. So 
it wasn't, you know, I think we kind of went in thinking, oh, maybe this is a city versus rural thing. But I thought, I think, you know, those fires touched everybody in Australia. And um, I don't think that was like an appropriate delineation to make because I think, you know, and a lot of these uh, RFS uh, brigades came from north of Sydney down to places like Balmoral and all the way down the Princess Highway. So um, I think it's just more of a universal thing. And, um, you know, as somebody, I've spent most of my life in America, but I spent, you know, a handful of years over in Sydney um, and Australia. Um, I actually had a child there, so I know Australia quite well. Um, there is something unique about Australia and Australians and just that sense. And this was all happening when, you know, let's face it, America was not looking so great at the time. <laughs> There's protests. Um, people didn't seem like they had each other back. And, um, you know, it was pretty incredible to see um, people band together and um, with their backs against the wall um, when they're facing adversity like that. And there yeah. were stories of people, you know, we talked to people, everyone had a story of something that went wrong, you know, people mm -hmm. looting half-burnt houses, um, you know, the, the camps who the, the uh, uh, family from Balmoral we spent some time with, they had stories about people after they, everything they went through, they planted a new garden. People took all their They're new fresh, plants. Like, like what, a, <laughs> what a terrible thing to do to somebody that's yeah. already like down. But for every person that did something like that, there was nine others they said that did something really selfless and mm. incredible. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I was really blown away by, by the response and found it very inspiring. Um, just looking at how kind people can be. But I think the question is, you know, when the, after the crisis subsides and we're back to our normal lives, do we kind of go back to our normal selves or are we just um, more likely to help each other and not see the differences between us when we're all huddled on the beach together, you know, mm. surrounded by smoke. So, mm. but, uh, but I, I do think, you know, I think crisis can bring out some of the best of us, but I, I do think it's there all the time as well. Um, yeah. I think that another thing during the, research and then and and speaking to these people and then starting to film with them um, that informed us was you can you can make a difference no matter who you are or what your skill set is like mm. you know people who have seen that film by and large a lot of the time their favorite person is barbara um who's the uh, elderly woman from narragunda and um you know her just pure simple act of altruism completely blows people's minds no matter where they're from um it was interesting you know doing a screening of the film last week uh just seeing an audience's reaction again and the talk uh, afterwards about that um you know it's just as incredible and uh, as you know something that like uh, brendan or nathan did you know the classic mm. heroes in uniform um so i hope yeah that's a takeaway from the film and we wanted to shine a light on that that it's yes there's the frontline workers who get a lot of attention and deservedly so but really the thing that you can as uh, someone who isn't a frontline worker you can do in your day-to-day -day is just that simple uh, um, you know awareness of your neighbor and you know that small helping hand can actually go a really long way especially in times of crisis it can like literally save people's lives even if it's just emotionally being a huge crutch for them it's um yeah yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't think I actually answered your question, but I think what does tie all our characters together is resilience. Um, 
They're incredibly, incredibly resilient people. And I would say almost universally resilient to a fault, if that makes sense. Because what we found out is people were so tough. Um, get knocked down, get back up again. Get knocked down, get back up again. Don't make excuses. Um, really, really tough. But I think each one of the characters struggled a bit from realizing that it's okay not to be okay. And mm. That first, first, you know, inclination that you need to kind of talk about these things, put your hand up and it's okay um, to be vulnerable and to talk about these things. I think that's kind of what all the people we talked to had that in one, one um, regard or another. Mm. And yeah. that power of um, community, which was pretty amazing, like dealing with, spending a lot of time with these people is especially in rural communities because it's tough right it's, mm. it's it's tougher than the city where everything is sort of just a, a quick phone call away yeah, available, yeah. Um, or around the corner um yeah that resilience of rural communities and um and how amazing it is to see how they do uh, stick together or how many of them per capita are volunteers or rfs members or you know working at the local food pantry or whatever and um yeah, I hope, I hope audiences sort of recognise the power of that. And it's not something that's just exclusive to rural communities. And I think we would talk a lot about that. And I think I would probably be the one who'd be like, no, no, no it's possible in the city as well. I think we just probably don't get as many opportunities to, mm. to, um, to recognise that or see it happening day to day in, in the city. Um, but, yeah, I think if people can just recognise that. Uh, it only all works if people actually... Uh, standing up for each other. Mm. It's kind of the simple takeaway, ultimately. I think the resilience, I mean, th that word is mentioned throughout by the lips of many different people that are featured. And I do like the inclusion of the uniformed as well as non-uniformed sort of uh, personnel that helped through, throughout this sort of crisis as it unfolded, not just within the, and there was sort of the demarcation between when the rains arrived and how there was still a, just a, I think it was worded as something like there was just a different emergency started to take place then. And I think that's also an interesting sort of trajectory that the narrative kind of went through, which is to show that, even though the fires, and I mean, this, the footage that you guys featured in them is, is, is stunning and how hellish it is, but to then expand on from that and show that there's another kind of crisis that unfolds after. Um, again, I wondered if that was the sort of trajectory in which you always were planning on doing, or is that something that kind of happened organically, the more people that you sort of talked to and registered that the, the fire itself wasn't just the, the be-all and end-all of the emergency, as it were? I think that happened organically throughout development. You know, you always go in making a documentary thinking this is the story we're going to tell and you come out telling some version of that story that's never exactly what you thought going in. Um, I, I would say the one thing that kind of took us all aback was just how consistently everyone we talked to, you know, and this is like three to six to nine months after the fires, had these lingering mental health issues, had issues with um, admitting they needed help um, stuff like that. So I think those themes came out through, you know, we, we talked to hundreds of people before we, you know, honed in on the stories we were going to tell, but, um, that second act, I think really did come out through, that wasn't something we fully had crystallized before we started, uh, shooting. It's something that we kind of worked through with, with all the people we talked to as we went. Um, and all the people in the communities that, you know, were just as selfless as the people in uniform. Um, that's something that also kind of came about. We started with a simple premise and it kind of grew from there, I guess. 
Mm. Yeah, I think it kind of it uh, became like almost deafening the reality of the fallout of the psychological fallout, and it yeah, as Justin was saying, it did inform us as we moved forward. We were just like this has to be told you actually you can't ignore it like mm. it's just it's there no matter who you speak to and even if we were at a local pub in a town and just someone saw us you know as out of towners and they everyone had a story to tell and everyone was dealing with some form of trauma in their own way and um yeah i don't i think it's um i'm glad that we've been able to lean into that and tell that and, and and i know a few of the people in the film have been uh are really glad that it's uh potentially helping other people because we have mm-hmm. heard stories of other firefighters who have seen it um who have recognized in themselves certain behavior that they were kind of ignoring and they've now reached out for help after seeing some of the people in our film have the courage to do that at one point, I think someone mentions about 20, 30 years ago, these sort of conversations wouldn't have been taking place, particularly with the after effects of mental health sort of issues, ongoing issues, post-traumatic stress disorder, all of them very much um, ongoing. And I think that, yeah, that, that was that was mentioned as well. Do you feel that the sort of discourse within the context of your film, as well as in general and what you sort of encountered or brushed up against, kind of shows that there is more of a discourse now and there is more of a tying in with this resilience that you guys have mentioned as well as now being accepting that resilience doesn't necessarily apply to not having sort of ongoing mental health issues after it. Yeah, I, I think um, the world's changed a lot in the last, um, this beyond just the fires, I think people do realize it's okay not to be okay these days. Mm. But where I think there's a lot of room for improvement is people getting to that point of realizing that, if that makes sense. Because it's, it's easier to see in other people, it's really hard to see in yourself, right? Mm. Um, especially if you're someone that runs into burning buildings and saves people's lives. <laughs> if you're the run, running around helping everyone else all the time and everyone knows people like this, um, sometimes you got to, you know, fill up your own bucket and be okay by, by yourself before you can go help others. And, you know, so, you know, we spent a lot of time with the Brandon O'Connor and, you know, mm. he's a guy that, you know, burns a candle on both ends, giving, 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 giving so much, but, you know, um, that's not sustainable unless, mm. uh, you know, you're in a good way before you can go do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I that's think where that, Petraea had um, a lovely insight um, where she said, like, it's, it's not a selfish thing to look after yourself. Cause like, mm. I think you, you can grow up thinking like uh, that, um, that you might be, it's, it's, it's wrong to put, uh, your needs before others and it's when it's when it's to do with your own mental health um, I think that's that's a really positive realization that people are having these days but there is still a ways to go like I think Nathan Nathan said it he's from the generation you know he's 20 I think 27 now but and he's from a generation where it's been you've grown up being told to uh, you know speak out if, if something's not right but it still took Nathan uh, I think eight months to to reach out formally um so yeah there is a ways to go but it's it's great that's people like the clem bandons the brendans of the world um you know the quintessential she'll be right stoic Mm. gozzy metals are reaching out and 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 um 
Yeah, and and talking about it as well, not just reaching out, but actually being courageous to share their story and something like this, so others can see that and then see that okay, if they can do it, um, I can too. What about sustained sort of processes in place or organisation? Because there's one point I think it's mentioned towards the tail end of the film about how six, seven, eight months after the sort of um, tragic, devastating fires take place, there's a new tragedy that happens somewhere else in the world and, and, and aid can then subsequently be diverted there. It's kind of almost tied in of human nature of focusing on the next sort of uh, tragedy as it develops and then moving on to the next because there's always a new one. Do you guys find in your research and the people you spoke to there are sort of permanent systems being put in place, albeit organisations, or what's going on with that, that sort of sphere? Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's 100% true. You know, like most people volunteer when in, in the heat of the battle, they do when, when, when the wounds are fresh, they do it when everyone's motivated. Um, I don't know if we really went into it in detail in the film, but, you know, there's almost a bell curve where, you know, crisis happens here, volunteerism goes up a few months after, dips back down and is low again, all the way into the mitigation preparation phase for the next disaster. So with fires, it's cyclical. It happens every year. You know, hopefully not as bad as it did last year, but with climate change, we do know these things are going to become a bit more uh, common. Um, and organizations like um, Quest, for, Quest for Life, um, Trey's organization, um, you know, stuff that came out of the Royal Commission, um, it sounds like, you know, whether it's all talk or not, it sounds like they do understand the need to keep these um, programs in for the long haul and not just come in for the few months after uh, the fires. You know, there was a lot of frustration we saw from people like Dave Allen down at Cambargo. Um, he, you know, he found out the words of his mouth, but he, you know, felt that while the response was incredible right in the immediate aftermath, after the news crews kind of go away, two, three months later, they fall off. And he had some pretty interesting ideas um, about how to keep that from happening. So, you know, hopefully we've learned from this and hopefully, you know, people are still staying engaged and deciding, Oh, maybe I should be signing up for the RFS or the local food bank or whatever else it is, because inevitably the next thing will come, whether it be the floods or more fires or, you know, the plague or <laughs> a global pandemic. Yeah. It, it's, it is, it's really hard. And I think, um, yeah, you know, Australia coming into this, a lot of these communities had already been enduring um, a, a historic drought mm. and had fires and then COVID within months after that, locking everything down, which stopped all of, you know, physical interaction, which is so important for mental health recovery. Um, and then we had floods as well in Australia um, and then more lockdowns, which, again, just stifled the slow momentum that was starting to build in some of these rural communities. But yeah, it's, it's hard, you know, the 24 hour news cycle, we are conditioned to be engaged in something. And then there is so much other noise around and there's a lot of stuff happening in the world. It, it is really hard. I think it's where agencies like uh, Resilience New South Wales and um, all these other um, resilience agencies around the country and charities, organizations and community organizations are super important to just, because they're the ones at the end of the day are still there actually tinkering away and doing things. And as one saw the, the huge um, media spotlight 
an international or national spotlight moves away. Because, um, yeah, you know, the truckload of goods that's coming down from Bankstown to Balmoral Village, which in the moment is incredible, mm-hmm. um, which this isn't in the film, but this, this is stuff that uh, <coughs> Paula, who is in the film, helped organise. But, you know, that's not sustainable for those people who are, got their own day jobs and stuff to be doing that months later every week or whatever. So we do rely then on bureaucracy um, and charitable organisations to help with that. I think when there's something this big and then something as gigantic as then COVID coming along, those agencies can get stretched. And, um, yeah, it's really hard because I think there's definitely can be a sense, rightfully so, of people feeling like they've been left behind or forgotten. Mm. We'll say, though, that, you know, you'll hear you know a lot of people were very angry after the fires and you know wanted to point the finger somewhere and they said we got caught with our pants down you know that could be correct in a lot of instances but when you look at the scale of these fires and like one home lost and one life lost is too many but i do think lessons were learned from past fires and some of that preparedness did show through and you know with all the negatives there were a lot of um, positive things that, that were done during the fires um, to keep them from being much, you know, having a much worse effect than they did. And so I got to think that more was learned through these fires. So at, in any natural disaster, you're going to be able to point the finger and say, why, why, why? Um, you know, there's nothing's going to run perfectly. But I, I've got to think that a lot was learned um, from these and will be implemented going forward. That said, I also think it is human nature. And Will we ever be fully prepared for something like that? I don't quite think so. Luke, you look like you. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Let's just. Well, not to be dark, but you know. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I, no, just no, think no. I, I was, you know, I was trying. Not to, I was trying not to get a little too like pessimistic, but um, yeah, you know, there's there's definitely the critics who will say there's a royal commission usually after every huge fire that that completely devastates Australia and you know soon after after the findings come out how much is actually implemented and people have short-term memories and yeah I really hope that isn't the case this time I know I think the federal government did say they were going to accept all the recommendations or most of the recommendations when that came out months ago but um, you know again there's been a lot of other distractions still going on once Mm. then the Delta lockdown happened in in Australia Um, so yeah, let's let's hope that stuff does get put into place to help better prepare us. And I think uh, just on a community level, that's where like the film at the end points towards um, the Australian Resilience Corps, which is um, something that the Mindaroo Foundation is behind. And that is just their own philanthropic initiative to say, there is a lot of funding and attention that goes into response once crisis hits, whether it's fire or flood in Australia, but not no, nowhere nearly enough goes into preparation. Mm. Um, so that's where it's like they're trying to build this huge core of volunteers of all skill sets across Australia to get involved now, get involved in your community now. They'll help put you in touch with the relevant um, organisations and it's not just firefighting it's not just like food pantries it's just everything um 
so we can better build that national resilience. So when the next disaster hits, we're not, there isn't as much of a sense of flat-footedness of like you're just relying on the sort of typical big charity organisations like the Red Cross or the Salvation Army, but there is um, a stronger community, um, I guess, an army of volunteers of just who are standing by, who are already kind of in the flow of it. Yeah. There was some, there was a gentleman that you spoke to, an uh, Indigenous firefighter and community member, which I think that they kind of ended awards about talking about different sort of backburning. I think one of the people that you consulted, his name escapes me at the moment, but he was an Indigenous uh, community Victor member. Stephenson. Yes, yes. Tell me a little bit about that because I felt that that also somewhat ended on a positive note about bringing potential change within maybe not so much a grand scale, but at least within what you sort of captured within the narrative of the documentary. Yeah, and, and, and with that story, we didn't want to also point fingers at the RFS and say you're doing everything wrong. Yeah, I didn't, um, I didn't take away that. Land management is incredibly, incredibly complex. There's a lot of different stakeholders. Um, there is it, a film in itself in land management. Easily a film in itself. And we actually discussed that. Um, but we did feel like it deserved sunlight in the film and at least like offering a positive solution. Um, you know, what Victor and many others have been doing is great. Um, there's a lot of different, um, also positive benefits beyond just um, managing the land itself as well. Um, he's looking at ways to um, give back to the indigenous community, get more people involved um, uh, with jobs and stuff as that as well. So I think there's a broader uh, kind of impact it can have than just uh, keeping us all safe, which is an interesting angle. Yeah, I think it's it's super important and it's great that it has um, gotten renewed interest, mainstream interest um, since since these fires. And I hope that that momentum continues. I think it will be hard to scale to scale that up, but you know, I think with anything as massive as managing a landmass the size of Australia, you know. Mm. As climate change gets worse, you're going to need every tool in the, in the toolbox. You know what I mean? So I think the more resources that can be put into that, um, the better. And most every RFS member we talked to said they saw a lot of merit in what um, the different workshops they've been to. So I think you've got a lot of people uh, willing to learn and willing to yeah. change their practices. And I think that's um, the first step. But as Victor says, you know, it's something that they don't want to be co-opted by the government itself. It should stay, that wasn't just stay within the uh, indigenous community itself. Did you want to say anything else to that or for us next question? Uh, no, no, I think I think no. Because one of the things that stood out for me, one of, one of my takeaways from, from the film is that, I mean, I've encountered, brushed up against a few different sort of uh, stories of, of, volunteer firefighters here and there within the mainstream, but not that many, uh, a surprisingly not large amount. And given that it's this sort of um, ongoing sort of endless national disaster that happens, you know, during the, during the seasons, I wondered why that was and what you sort of took away from that, because it's interesting that you mentioned that you kind of, the origins of, of what ultimately became a fire inside was, Related to literally flying over and seeing it firsthand, albeit the smoky version from up in the up in the sky. Why do you think that there hasn't been all that many uh, sort of films of this ilk or kind of subject matter sort of released into the mainstream yet? So that's a good question. Um, 
I think it's it's easy to point the finger um, in the political angle, you know, and I think climate change is a huge subject. So I think a lot of attention has been given to that. Um, and the, you know, just the environment too, or the impact it had on wildlife and stuff like that. There's, there's a lot of things that make for really entertaining content. I think, um, I don't know, maybe this is just my opinion. Maybe it's telling that story means also, you know, showing the sacrifice these people went through and continue to deal with today. Maybe that's why it's a tricky story to tell because you want to celebrate these people. Mm. But at the same time, you can't celebrate them with also acknowledging that it's, you know, 12, 18 months, not longer than that on, over 18 months on. And all these people are still dealing with their own shit. You know, they're all, you know, we, you know, we, we keep in touch with people in the film and they're doing better, but they're still working through it. And I think that's a hard story to tell because you want to be inspirational, but mm. it's a long road back. And I think that might be what makes telling those stories challenging, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it's like you've got these, um, you know, it's superhero movies are all the rave these days, you know, and like the superheroes, they don't have PTSD after they go mm. <laughs> fight the Iron Man or whatever. Um, I don't watch many of them, but for the ones I have watched, you know, they're, they're invincible. And I think, you know, when you tell Bucky these stories, Rogers. Bucky Rogers definitely has PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> the Winter Soldier. <laughs> I watch them and read them. I'll watch them. I'll watch them too. So Luke, Luke fills me in on them. And uh, yeah, that's not real life. You know, real life mm. is, uh, it's not that. So yeah, you know what? It's actually, it's an interesting question. There is a scene. Let's just go into Marvel for a second. There is a scene in Winter Soldier, Captain America 2, which was actually for me the most like apart from cool, I'm seeing all that stuff come to life, which is always great. But just as a kind of a, sort of an adult filmmaker, like it's interesting that scene at the start where there is that um, uh, veterans group where they're talking about PTSD. And that was actually kind of like, oh, they're doing this in a Marvel film. That's cool. But of course it's a fleeting moment of like, oh, this is like a serious drama, adult drama. But then it's quickly we're back into um full-blown Marvel uh, superhero world. Um, yeah, so I think that that's always uh, been intriguing for me. Um, yeah, why there hasn't been more? I think there has, you know, do you mean just from these five specifically or just in general? I think in general because I, I, I tried to kind of like compile a list and I mean like I'm, I myself am not well versed in them but I hadn't really found that many over the over the course of the right. last few years particularly yeah. as they worsen. Yeah, well, I think there's definitely been stuff done for uh, the military. Mm. Um, like one that comes to mind was um, that film with Toby Maguire and Jake Gyllenhaal where uh, Maguire comes back and he's got severe PTSD. Um yeah, I think for the military, there's been a lot of attention on it and, mm. and films. But, yeah, I think, I mean, look, these fires were unprecedented, right? It's mm. not normal that these volunteer firefighters, in the case of Australia, volunteer firefighters for the most part, um, are out there for months at a time, not earning a living, uh, eating, you know, packaged food and, and, and Mars bars and stuff just mm. to, like, get by and getting like two, three hours sleep a night. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think also like one thing we ran into with all these people is that 
they don't want the attention. You know, they're not doing it to be celebrated. Like every single person we spoke to was an uphill battle to, to agree to be on camera. You know, there's like a lot of trust you got to build there. They've been burned so many times by local news stations, stuff like that. Um, none of these people, you know, they're not in it for the glory. They're, they're doing it because it's what needs to be done. So I think that might play a big role in it because it was mm-hmm. yeah, just bringing this story to life and to the screen. You know, I think again, everyone that opened up their time and, you know, shared their stories with us, but you know, we, we had, we did have to cry a little bit because, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to talk about number one. And number two, I think most of these people were very content being anonymous um it's not why they did it you know yeah there was i remember in the um early development there was that question of like why do they do it why do Mm. these people do it and i know justin we would you would always be surprised not surprised but be pretty blunt with like the answer is usually not that remarkable if you just ask someone straight out what it is because especially in australia the answer is like oh yeah you know it's what you do Full stop. That's it. <laughs> it's like, that's it. And we'd hear that so many times. It's like, oh, yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do? That's what you do. Mm. But actually, again, like walking a mile in these people's shoes and really kind of spending time with them and, and, and getting into their backstory um, and with what they're dealing with now, the fallout, um, the motivations actually all end up being quite varied and, the journey itself is sort of usually the most remarkable thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. It is kind of like, these are actually all like real life superheroes, really. Mm. None of them wearing capes, but it's like the, re- it's the reality. It's the real version of it, which is kind of cool to shine a light on. I think it's quite a quandary because I feel that you've got on this end, like what you're talking about, we're going and speaking to survivors, the people that do this sort of thing, like you said, just they do it just because... So there's the difficulties there with getting them to open up. And naturally, as I mentioned, they've been like potentially being stung by the media before. And on the other side is the viewers themselves as well. And then you've got to kind of walk this tightrope of saying, well, we want it to pick as, you know, sort of earnestly as the situation really truly is. But then therein sort of lies the rub because then you're like, well, I don't want to kind of alienate them either by showing them too much traumatic footage of, of, of animals dying, but it's kind of necessary as well. Did that go? Did you that factor into you guys in the way you made it at all? Yeah, I mean, we spent a lot of time in the edit bay um, mm. having that exact discussion because many times, you know, and to anyone that's watching this interview and thinking about watching it, you know, if it's, if it's too much, you know, don't feel the need to watch it all the way through. Um, mm. Many people that have lived, lived through this and experienced some pretty incredible things have found it cathartic, but you know, it may trigger some, you know, I mean, it may trigger something inside you you're not, you know quite ready, ready to deal with, which is totally understandable. Um, but we, we didn't try to make this um, a disaster movie. You know, we tried to make it into a story about you, your next door neighbor who, who decided they wanted to um, give back to the community. So, you know, when we talk about 3 billion animals dead, I mm-hmm. think we, we had to show it dead or crying koala. And um, my partner heard that noise and, you know, she says, I'm not going to watch your movie. It's, just, it's too much. It's too much to hear that. Um, but we try, we try to not be, be gratuitous because um, sometimes things are best, you know, you, you just don't need to go overboard. And, you know, we, we also made sure to just keep the first act of the fires themselves 
um, so we could explore the uh, recovery aftermath and stuff like that with the rest of it. So, yeah, it's it's a tricky, tricky balance to tell some of these stories where people are literally burning people or um, rescuing people from burning homes um, while not making it, you know, exciting and horrific and, and all that stuff through through the through the visual storytelling and editing. Um, and it's also not, it's impossible to, you know, show the, you know, how incredibly devastating these fires were without showing some of the aftermath and the rubble. So yeah, we, 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 we had that debate a lot and, um, there's so much footage out there that we, we spent quite a bit. I mean, Luke can speak to this, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, striking that balance did literally take months and months and just so many discussions back and forth between ourselves and of course Scotty uh, Scotty Worms our editor and, and and you know even like Rob Galuzzo our executive producer and Nick Worthington our other co-writer and, um, but yeah I think look as Justin was saying because we're sort of conscious like in these longer discussions where we kind of really get into the weeds um, for whoever's listening that people who have seen this film who are in it and just regular audiences ultimately the takeaway is a hopeful and inspiring film um but yeah i think like any sort of real world disaster or real world sort of war film or anything like that there's that you have you have to go through the real world drama and the real world sort of struggle um but yeah the the takeaway is the incredible selflessness of just these everyday people and the power that their acts have no matter how big or small can actually have on someone else's life. Yeah, well said. Justin, were you going to say something else or? I was just agreeing. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that that's the, that's the tie that I imagine you guys would have had to have walked is like, you've got to show realistic footage in order to kind of capture what it is that you're trying to show there. But then there's the, the balance of kind of keeping it somewhat in check. So it's not gratuitous um mm. same with the same with the kind of like message the leaving message parting message that i took away with it which is there is hope and there is some sort of change in the works for the to the betterment of australia sort of at large but then it kind of you have to keep that in check too because then you can't go oh well everything's going to be a-okay everyone's going to dance off into the sunset and forevermore will be the land of milk and honey and i think that you guys kind of kept that nicely reined in as well so it didn't kind of feel disingenuously hopeful it felt like the hope there was grounded yeah. in realism yeah as, as nathan bunn says like it's inevitable it's going to happen again and mm. he's not sure what the reality of that will actually look like for his family but um you know his motivations to continue doing it are fairly unwavering um so yeah there is that reality check that this isn't unfortunately the last time there's probably going to be a need to make a film like mm. this um, as we stare down the barrel of more frequent huge disasters, which the science, like the, the climate data we were, um, we saw during the research was these huge events have become increasingly more common. And I think in the last decade, there was more combined than the previous four decades or something like that. Yeah. Um, and the amount we've had already in the first almost two years of this decade is nearing, I think, a quarter or a half already of last decade. Yeah, and I, you know, we we went and shot this. So this was starting, you know, beginning of 2020. Um, and then 
that winter we're in, we're in post. And then I'm watching my home state of California burn. Um, it was some of the worst wildfires they've seen. Thankfully, um, Australia got a lot of rain, but then I, I just flew back we'll finish after finishing the movie back to LA, um, in June. And then California was on fire again. Um, mm-hmm. massive, and, massive and Europe as well. Fire. Yeah. So, I don't, we don't want to make 90 minutes of the movie about that because it is just so impressive to think about. But if, but if this, this stuff depresses you, like I think the takeaways, look, and no matter who you are, you can make a difference. You can contribute yeah. to make uh, your, your community better and, you know, make someone's life better in the process. Yeah. And, and I think we were definitely informed by sitting in that room huddled together for months and months, you know, watching the U.S. election, living through the pandemic, um, then living through the floods. Um, I think we realized as well that there is, it definitely, the things that get the most attention and noise are usually the bad things. Mm. Um, it's just that's human nature. It sort of elicits the strongest response. Um, and we thought it was important to have something that did shine a light pretty hard on what we are capable of when we're at our best um and for us to not lose sight of that because it can seem sometimes that like there is all hope is lost but it's not the reality um because as justin was saying earlier like you know for the one or two people that loot from the canvas family there's nine or 12 others in the community that are bringing over cooked meals or helping rebuild stuff or clear land or whatever and you know, that's just human nature at the end of the day. But at the end of the day, I think we do um, the positive far outweighs the negatives when you kind of really delve into it. And it's up to us as well. And it's just kind of a, a takeaway from our, the previous film, Machine, is like, it is up to us at the end of the day. You can sort of just throw your hands up and be like, ah, oh, we're all screwed, we're all lost, climate change, we're, we're done. But it's like, no, okay, you actually, everyone wants to roll up their sleeves and give back in some way, you can at least be improving the lives of your immediate neighbours or, you know, the neighbouring town or someone in another state. Yeah, that's definitely a takeaway in terms of, uh, like, you saw as well, Justin, as well, that one person can make a difference, so it's not all necessarily doom and gloom. But, again, I think you guys have balanced the the optimism and, and hopefulness that can be achieved uh, realistically, as well as, uh, yeah, not kind of making it seem just uh, impossibly happy and uh, realisable like that. So I like the balance of the dark and the light. That's my kind of takeaway from it. Last question I wanted to ask you guys was, what was the greatest challenge that you faced with the making of Fire Inside? And what was probably your greatest uh, achievement that you feel with it? Hmm. It's tricky. Um. I think think for me, it was just, you know, being the person sitting in the chair, you know, asking all these people these questions was just playing, you know, director slash psychologist was, was, was a hard thing to do because I'm I'm not ready. I'm not ready for that. I'm just some guy that tells stories, you know? Um, so I think that that was uh, that that was a challenge, you know, because all these everyone in the film had just been through something that I couldn't comprehend. Um, never been through anything that like that in my life, and so you know, going into people's well, they had just lost their home, so going into their pod or 
wherever they were living at the time and, um, you know, talking about something they hadn't really talked about before, um, maybe to their families, maybe not. That, that was the trickiest, the trickiest bit. And, I, and most people I talked to afterwards found it cathartic and um, were happy they did it. Um, and it was also just, you know, also kind of earning the trust of these people, you know, because we, 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 we wanted to tell the story in a certain way. And um, that's a, it's a tricky, tricky sell to somebody that's just been, been through a lot, but, you know, we, we, we carried a lot of responsibility with that. You know, we, we, we wanted to do it in the right way. And we, everyone in the film was kept abreast of everything we were doing throughout the film. So, you know, they could have input and, um, you know, sharing something that, you know, felt personal to them as well. So I think that was the biggest challenge for me personally. Yeah, pretty much the same, that, that trust and, and the responsibility of, of earning that trust and then having to, um, you know, honor that in the real world um, with something that will be seen by many people. Um, and I think also just the subject matter, like as Justin was saying, like the spending time in these communities and with these people where it, it was heavy, but, you know, there was a lot of laughs along the way and a lot of really heartwarming moments um, and cathartic moments um, that we all shared together. Um, but probably, I guess, sitting in the edit for so long because we just would be sitting in it day after day. Um, and then, you know, with all the imagery and, mm. um, yeah, we both had kids during the production. <laughs> Justin and I both had two weeks apart. We both had kids. Um, so I think that's probably another thing that informed just that sort of maybe subconsciously that conversation of like, this, this should be ultimately a beacon of, of hope at the end of the day, although it doesn't shy away from the grit and, and some of the, the dark side of humanity, but, um, ultimately it's, it's a positive outlook. Um, so I think, yeah, probably the thing I'm most proud about is that, uh, yeah, I haven't really thought about that. Maybe one day my kids would watch this and be like, yeah, right, okay. This is, those guys are trying to do something <laughs> positive and there actually is something positive to take away from all this without forgetting the like uh, responsibility and, and sort of resilience of pursuing and keeping forward, keep moving forward in affecting positive change. And that's just not giving back to community, but even just like from a bureaucratic, bureaucratic level and all that stuff, like we can't just pat ourselves on the back and be like, okay, well, we did okay then, but just keep pushing forward. Yeah, and I, and I will say it was, you know, challenging, you know, to, to go to all these places and, you know, have to work through all this recent, very fresh trauma with everyone. But at the same mm -hmm. time, like Luke said, there was so many laughs along the way. Um, you know, people like Barbara, everyone kept her sense of humor. Um, and people like Barbara, you know, she had been through a lot, lost a lot, but she cooked our entire crew breakfast, lunch, and dinner, refused to have it any other way. Everyone was having a beer. Everyone was having some cheese. Um, she gave yeah, everyone, so gifts. I got a gift. My little son Rivers got a cool little hat um, from Barbara. So these are the things you look back when you make films and you're like, wow, what a cool, what, what a fun like interesting job and like what what a credible positive experience um so while it was challenging i think to go in these places like for me some of those kind of moments far outshone everything else and i was mm -hmm. like wow this is inspirational to me to see 
you know, I'm just, I'm not, I'm just going to not cry about it and just get up when I have a bad day, you know, um, really inspiring seeing, uh, everybody, uh, kept, you know, kept their sense of humor. And mm. I think one other thing, um, I guess that was hard and also proud of with where we ultimately landed, um, is that mental health aspect of saying loud, loudly that it's okay to not be okay. Mm. Because even during the making of this, I had some people close to me who were going through some tough stuff. And um, yeah, actually hearing, listening to people like Petraea and, and, and speaking with people like Brendan and Nathan and Clem, like that helped me help them. And uh, I hope that people who do watch this, um, that it does sort of move the needle ever so slightly, hopefully, in the right direction of people to realise these big events aren't normal, so it's totally mm. normal to feel, to not feel normal about them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we can all just have each other's back and, you know, reach out and see if someone needs a hand. Moving the needle is a good way of describing it, I reckon, um, because, I mean, yeah, there's, there's only so much you can do, but you can obviously start at least a bit of a discourse, albeit contribute to one that's maybe pre-existing. And, yeah, I mean, the humour, there, there's, there's flares of it here and there. There's the story involving the old German German man who wants to <laughs> test the the pod, which test. I won't go into because I, I, I don't want any listeners to have that sport for him because I laughed at that. But, um. Yeah, guys, you know, you, I think that you did do that and you balanced, balanced the darkness and the light and uh, to wish I could put that in a less trite manner. But, yeah, and it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both on the show today. So, everyone, that was Justin Crook and Luke Mazzaferro that I was speaking to about their uh, feature documentary, A Fire Inside, which I cannot endorse enough. And I think that um, even though given uh, just how traumatizing the, the material is, it can be tough viewing uh, at the times, maybe a lot of the times it's still necessary vital viewing. So do be sure to go and see it at the Sydney Film Festival uh, during its run there. Uh, to that end, I will be including in the link slash bio of this particular episode, the link to the Sydney Film Festival's uh, page, specifically that of the session times for a fire inside. So you can plan around accordingly and go and catch a viewing of a fire inside. Huge thanks to Luke and Justin again for appearing on the program uh, as well, as well as huge thanks to you for listening to this particular episode of the Right Way podcast program as we're getting into the pointy end slash tail end of the year. For the eagle-eyed or eagle-eared viewers, uh, you might remember that I was winding down, uh, which I, uh, with the with the amount of guests or the the slate of guests that I had coming up, uh, and to that end, I've I've somewhat been, uh, but I've got a couple more coming up. Uh, some real big names. Uh, one of my favourite Australian writers as well, I think, is the next. So that's that's going to be some mind blowing stuff. So all I can say is stay tuned for that. Get excited for the next couple of episodes, the last of the year to come up. Uh, I'll probably try and do some little video as well, nothing too serious, on the 1st of November as well. 
uh, to celebrate the podcast's first birthday. So get excited for that as well. But in the interim, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Be sure to check out the rest on SoundCloud or Spotify, wherever you're listening to this on. If you are listening to it on Spotify, be sure to give it a cheeky follow there. Click that button so you can keep abreast of any and all. The latest episodes are going to be coming out uh, directly funneled into your ear region to enjoy. And yeah, in the interim, thank you so much. And everyone have a lovely afternoon now. And be sure to check out some films at the Sydney Film Festival, including A Fire Inside.